Welcome to the sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where each week you will hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. Have you ever been on a missions trip, gone overseas, or out of state to support missionaries? If you have never been on one, was it because of time? Or because it felt that you were not in the right place? Making God known in the unknown places does not have to begin by leaving our homes. But how does that work? What are some ways we could do to be supportive? Join us today as we look at the mission that Jesus gave His disciples and what we could take away from it. And I pray that as you listen to this message, may God speak to you and show you ways in which you can live your life supporting those around you. As we begin this morning, I have a question for you. When is the last time? When is the last time you faced something, some task or some problem, so overwhelming that even though you knew it wasn't the right thing to do, you found yourself doing nothing? When's the last time you faced an, a challenge or a task or an issue? This happens to all of us. It happens to me. I know it happens to you where the task itself was so big and so overwhelming, you knew if you tried to do it by yourself that you wouldn't be able to accomplish it all by yourself. You knew that wasn't a good idea. And you knew you shouldn't just ignore it. You knew just ignoring the whole thing that that would be a bad decision as well. But the reality of it all was the task is so overwhelming and it's so complicated, the problem, that you find yourself ending up doing what you know you shouldn't do, but you're not sure what else to do, and that is you end up doing Nothing. And there's all sorts of problems in our world, big problems, that as the world gets smaller and as we all have a voice through social media and we know more about our neighbors than ever before, there are more and more problems, injustices in the world, inequalities in the world, things that are happening that it feels like we're supposed to do something about, that we, that we should try and help fix. But the reality is, is it's, it's, the things are so big that we know we can't do it all ourselves, and we find ourselves kind of stuck, don't we? It's like if you had a big debt that you had incurred, and the debt was so large that you knew there was no way you on your own could do it yourself. There's no way you could take care of it all yourself. But you also knew that you shouldn't just ignore it. If you ignored it, it was going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. These questions of where do I begin and how do I start, they can be overwhelming at times. And you know what this is like. I know what it's like. Personally, personal challenges that I'm going through that are so big I'm not sure where to start or the big things in our world. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I certainly call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a task that you have been given. It's been given to me, and it's been given to you, that I think can sometimes seem so overwhelming and enormous and immense that even though we know we're not supposed to take it on all ourselves, we're clear on that, we know we can't handle it. And we know we're not supposed to ignore it. We find ourselves doing nothing because the task itself is so big and so large and so overwhelming that we're not sure where to start. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here this morning and someone, someone bribed you to be here and drug you here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. You're going to get a little bit of insight, a little bit of insight of something that's very important to those of us who call ourselves Christians. This is the task that Jesus gave his disciples when he left the earth. 
this big, overwhelming task. And he didn't just give it to his disciples. He said it to his disciples. But he also said it, and it was written down, so that all those of us who would call ourselves disciples of Jesus would know this is our task. This is our responsibility. And this is how he said it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this verse before. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if we were to read the next verse, verse 20, he would say this, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go, therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations. And then he says at the end of this, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, I don't know how you feel as a follower of Jesus, but I'll tell you one thing. I know... I'm 100% clear that a task that involves going and convincing everyone in the world to follow Jesus and to teach them everything that he commanded and to obey it is a task far too big for me to take on myself. In fact, this task is even larger than it might look like at first glance. A really a better translation of that Greek word that we translate here, all nations, would be all people groups. Because if you were to go to a nation like the nation of India or many other nations in our world, you would go to India, and India is one nation, but inside of that nation, you would find literally thousands of people groups and dialects. And the better way to translate that term would be all people groups, which means not just 200 and some nations that exist on the face of the earth right now, but thousands and thousands of people groups that need to be reached with the message of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I hear about missions and when I hear a verse like this and I think about the enormity of the task, the whole thing just seems so overwhelming and far away. I'm not even sure what I can do to be a part of it. When I was a kid, uh, we went to church a lot on Sundays. And I don't know if any of you remember this. Maybe you can think back to when you were a kid. We have church a lot less on Sundays than than I did when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid and I went to church on Sunday morning, there was no, the music was over, time to go off to kids' class time. Does anyone else remember this? We sat the entire time in church. And there was no iPhone. There was no iPad. There were no crayons or markers. There was no way we would desecrate the sanctuary with something like that. If we were lucky, if we were lucky, We got the bulletin and maybe like the golf pencil that was in the pew in front of us. That's what we got to play with if we were lucky. And we would sit there the whole time as the the grown-up pastor on stage would talk about grown-up things that I didn't understand at all. Maybe you feel like that right now. I don't know. But we would have to sit there and listen to it all. And then after all of that, we would have to stay for Sunday school hour. So it was the entirety of church and then the entirety of Sunday school hour, and then we would finally get to go home and eat lunch. And you know what happened once we got home and football just started to get good? My dad would say, all right, it's time to pile back up into the car. We are headed back to Sunday night service. Does anyone else who grew up, you grew up in the Protestant church, do you remember Sunday night service? Justin is very painfully raising his hand. A lot of, a lot of fun memories I could tell in Sunday night service. Remember Sunday night service? And I would walk into Sunday night service sometimes, I think it was five o'clock on Sunday evenings. Now, Sunday nights, you should come back some Sunday nights, like tonight, and help pray for our missions partners at our Oasis gathering. But we went every single Sunday night. 
We even went during the Super Bowl. It was us and the pastor. It was the Krogh family and the pastor. And the pastor, I think, would get upset at us because if we didn't show up, he could have gone and watched the Super Bowl. That's a whole other story. A lot of times we'd come in on, on Sunday nights. We would come in on Sunday nights, and I would see on the stage there'd be like a little tripod screen set up. Maybe you remember these things? A little metal tripod, and then it was the long sort of yellowish uh, tube, and then out of that tube would come the projector screen, and they would hang it up on a hook. And when I walked in as a kid, and I would see that on the stage, and then I'd look down on the floor off the stage, and there'd be a little cart, and the cart would have one or two things. It would either have a nine millimeter projector, some of you know what I'm talking about, with the reels set up, or it would have a slide projector with stacks. Do you remember these the gray plastic slide stacks holders? And they would be stacked up two or three high. And I would walk in as a kid and I would think to myself, oh no, it's a missionary. Because the last thing I wanted to do, just being honest with you, was sit there for an hour and watch the slides from the missionary. And they would set the whole thing up, and they would put the picture on the screen, and there would be the American in a three-piece suit with a tie standing next to the people from the country that they were in trying to reach. And it was the same picture over and over and over again. They would tell all their stories. And I'll tell you what, it just felt so far away. It felt so far away. Didn't feel like something I was supposed to be a part of. And maybe you feel that way when our global outreach partners come and stand on this stage like they do at least once a month. And they're coming from the places where we, where we support them. And they're coming from Indonesia. And they're coming from Eswatini, Africa. And they're coming from all over the world. And our missions partners even that come from our own backyard. When Thomas Vanderland, who is doing campus ministries here in the city of Boston, or Greg Detweiler, who was with us in the first service, is coming and talking about uh, his work through the greater, greater Boston refugee mission. Even though that stuff is happening in our own backyard, it can feel so far away, can't it? And we wonder, like, well, I know I'm supposed to help reach people for Jesus, but I know I can't, I can't do that all myself, and, and I'm not really sure. I'm not like these people. I'm not going to end up, I don't think I'm the person that's supposed to move halfway across the world. So then this question is, well, what are we supposed to do? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to just briefly share with you what I think is true biblically. We have this task. You can't get away from it. This task that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples of all nations, if you're a follower of Jesus, he gave you this task. You can't get away from it. And most of us, we end up doing nothing because we're not sure what to do. So this morning, I want to briefly talk about what I think God calls us to, the work that he calls us to. And there is work. There is work that all of us are supposed to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is work that you are supposed to do. There is work that just a few of us are supposed to do, a few specific people, and there is work that the rest of us are supposed to do. There's work that all of us are supposed to do, there's work that just a few specific people are supposed to do, and then there's work that the rest of us are supposed to do. I want to talk about that with you for just a moment. If you go back and look at that verse, that task that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, if you go back and look at those words, that very first part of that verse, those words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you've been around Mount Hope for a while, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I think it bears repeating. Jesus is not saying to his disciples, all of you, 
pack up your stuff, get a suitcase out, fill it with everything that you have, and go and make disciples of all nations. When we read that verse, we read it like this. G-O exclamation point. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But if you go back into the Greek, and here I'm just going to justify my three years of seminary for you for a little bit, all right? If you go back into the Greek, I had to learn this. I'd love to share it with you. If you go back into the Greek and you look at the, at the verbs in the verse, the verb that has the emphasis, the verb that is the imperative, the verb that has the exclamation point is the verb make disciples. In fact, that verb go It has more of an ongoing action to it. So a better translation of that word might say something like this. Jesus is saying to his disciples, in your going, in your going, as you go through your day, make disciples of all people. In your going, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you're in your neighborhood, in your going, make disciples of all people. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and that's what he's saying to you and to me. And there's this work that all of us are called to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't get away from it. Most of us end up doing nothing because we don't feel like we're the special person that's able to tell other people about Jesus. It's too overwhelming to us. We leave that up to the missionaries and to the pastors. But you have a responsibility in your going to tell other people the truth about who God is and who Jesus is. A couple of months ago, I had something very traumatic happen to me. My dentist, who I've been going to for years, chose to retire. And I don't know if you've ever had to, you have something like that happen to you, and now you have this burden on you to go and find a new place to get your teeth cleaned. I don't love doing stuff like that. And so he decided to retire and really mess with my schedule, which I didn't appreciate. And so I finally, after longer than I should have, finally found a new dentist to go to. And so this week was my first appointment. And I was there in the chair, you know, reclined, and this is a brand new dentist's office. It was much nicer than my old one, so I was enjoying the, the nice new chair. I was used to sitting in an old broken down chair all those years. And the dental hygienist comes up to me, and she says, she asks the question that when people ask me this question, I know they're about to immediately regret asking. She came up to me and she said, so what do you do? And I kind of smiled, and I know people are ne- they're never ready for the answer I'm about to give them. <laughs> what do you do? Well, I pastor a church in Belmont, and she got the same quizzical, confused look on her face that almost everyone gets. And she said, well, what is, what's that all about? And I thought to myself, here we go. And so as best as I could, while she was picking things out of my teeth, when she would take a break and go get the hose and the, the, the suction thing, I, we had this conversation. What kind of church is it? What do we believe? What is it that we do? And that's what it looks like. In your going, in your going, Jesus says, share the truth about who I am. And that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like a giant classroom where you're the expert and you can answer every single last question people have about who God is and who Jesus Christ is. It looks like in your going, as God provides the opportunity, you share about his love. I had a meeting just on Friday afternoon with someone at the church And it wasn't with a church member. It was someone they were selling business services to churches. And so he came in, and at the end of our meeting, he said to me, he said, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in church. And I said, really? 
He said, yeah, and, and because I converted to Buddhism in the 80s. And I knew he was saying that because he was ready for a conversation. So I thought in my head, here we go, and we have the conversation. And that's what it looks like. In your going, Jesus said, make disciples. And that's the work that we can't get away from. And I'd ask you to take a moment and think about this with me. Who is the person? Who is the person that you come across over and over again in your going? You know them. I don't know them. Maybe no one else in this room knows them. They're part of your family. They work in your group. They're in your classroom. Who is the person that in your going you encounter over and over again that you know you're supposed to share God's love with? God's called you to do it. It could be as simple as saying to them, asking them what you could be praying for in their life. It could be as simple as just sharing your own personal story of your walk with Jesus Christ and what God has done in your life. But you can't get away from the task and the responsibility that we all have if we call ourselves followers of Jesus to share his love with others. That's the work we're all called to do. But then there's this piece that only some of us are called to do. You see, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But then he left and the church began. And a couple of years into the life of the church, something happens where God makes very clear that even though there's this work that we all do, there's another work that only a few of us do. And this is what happens. It happens in a town called Antioch. The Christians are gathered, worshiping together, much like we're doing this morning. And while they're worshiping together, look what happens. While the Christians in Antioch were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. Now Saul is the Apostle Paul. That can get a little confusing. But set aside for me Barnabas and the Apostle Paul, who ends up writing over half the New Testament, for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And God makes it clear in this moment in the life of the early church that there's work that we're all called to do. We are all called in our going to tell other people about Jesus and his love for them. But there is work that only a few people are called to do. And every time a global outreach partner comes up and tells you about the ministry that they're doing in our own backyard in the city of Boston or around the world, this is the category that they fall into, that God has specially and specifically called them to go and to focus their talent and their gifting and their energy on this particular area of ministry to reach a particular group of people for God's glory. Not all the Christians in Antioch left, just two. Just Barnabas and Paul. And the Holy Spirit made it clear. These two I've set apart for a different work. Send them out so they can do it. And you know, maybe, maybe that's you. Have you ever considered that God might be calling you to do that? Maybe every time a global outreach partner comes and shares on this stage, something happens in your heart and in your mind where you begin to feel like that one day that will be you, going and living and sharing and coming back and telling what's happening. If you sense that, when you hear people speak on this stage, don't run away from that. Pay attention to that. 
God might be speaking to you. There's this work that all of us are called to do, to in our going make disciples. There's this work that a few of us are called to do, very specifically, to go. And then there's this work that the rest of us are supposed to do. We may not be called to go, you may not be called to go, but there's still this piece that if you're not going and you're sending, there's this work that the rest of us are supposed to do. And if we fast forward a couple more years in the life of the church, we have Jesus telling his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And then we have this moment where Paul and Barnabas are sent off. And then a couple years later, we have letters that Paul, who was sent off from the church of Antioch, is writing to all of the churches that he has planted because the church in Antioch sent him off. And one specific church, a church in Corinth, Paul is defending his ministry. The city of Corinth is in modern-day Greece, and Paul planted a church there. And he wrote them a letter to encourage them in the faith. And in that letter, he defends himself and tells them why they can trust that his ministry is with pure intention. And look what he says. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Paul writes this. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. I robbed other churches, Paul says. Now, that's not literal. All right, let's clear that up. Paul didn't come into churches in the middle of the service and take all their money. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's using a bit of hyperbole here. But what Paul is saying is there were churches, specifically in this case a church in Macedonia, who had resources And they could have used their resources to put in new windows. They could have used their resource to revamp their website. They could have used their resources to to advertise on Macedonian public transit. They could have done all of those things with their resources. But they took those resources and they gave them to me. And I robbed them of something that they could have had. Not just the church, but individuals. They gave resources to me so that I could come to you. And look what he's able to say. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Paul says, listen, you know my ministry is for real. Here's how you know. I came to you and I took nothing from you. I was empowered by people you don't even know way back in Macedonia so that I could come to you and I wouldn't have to burden you and I wouldn't have to ask for anything from you, but I could just love you and tell you the truth about the God who sent his son to die on the cross for your sin and for mine and was raised again that we might have hope eternal. I was able to do that. And the only reason I was able to do that, and it wasn't about me, it wasn't about me taking anything from you, it was about me serving you. The only reason I was able to do that is because these people back here gave and supported so that I could go. You know, sometimes when we talk about this, sometimes when we talk about this, we, we get sort of a classification in our head and we think, well, you know, the missionaries who are called to go, the, the few uh, that are called to go, they're, the, they're on some sort of Christian hierarchy. They're the, the super duper Christians. And then the rest of us that, that we just get this speech once a year to give money, we're like the lower tiered Christians. But I don't believe that's true at all. I think what Paul is saying to the people is you don't understand. 
there's this amazing group of followers of Jesus who were willing to deprive themselves of something so that I could come and share with you. Paul's pointing the finger back at them. He's saying, you want to know who the amazing people are? It's not me, church in Corinth. It's not me. It's the people who empowered me to be able to come. I shared this story with you last year, but I'll share it with you again quickly because I I think it's a great illustration of what we're talking about. In 2010, you might remember, in January of 2010, there was a terrible earthquake in Haiti. I mean, some of us, I mean, it's clear in our minds. We remember the pictures. We remember how awful that was. Later that year, I organized a trip from the church, and we went, uh, about 25 of us, we went down to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and we're going to specifically help a church begin to rebuild in the aftermath of that terrible tragedy. I had been on mission trips many times before to different countries around the world, and as we were flying into Haiti, I thought to myself, you know, I know what this is like. I know what a mission trip is like. I know what it's like to be in a different culture. I know what it's like to be in a place that's, that's more impoverished than the United States. And so I felt like I was ready. But when we landed at the airport, I was totally unprepared for the reality of the humanitarian crisis that was happening in Haiti. I don't know if you remember the pictures, but the tens of thousands of people living in tent cities, just the amount of people that had no home or access to water. I mean, it was really a difficult situation. And I think all of the members on our team were, were, were affected in one way or another. But there was one person on our team who really had a challenging time. It was, it was far greater of a challenge to go than he ever anticipated. And he wanted to be there. He wanted to help out. But as the week went on and the time we were there went on, it got more and more difficult for him to be there. And we came home and we were going through the... Customs in Miami International Airport, and I remember looking at him and seeing the, the relief to be home, just to be someone somewhere familiar. He was happy to be back uh, on, in a place where he felt more comfortable. And he said to me these words that I'll never forget, and I think this is such a valuable lesson to learn. He said, you know what? I learned something important this week. I am not called to go. And I said to him, I fully agree with that assessment. (laughs) But he said this, and he's a pretty successful guy. He said, I will give and support every missionary that comes to the church now. He's like, I didn't get it before. And I'm not supposed to go, but I am crystal clear that I am supposed to support And I think that lesson is every bit as valuable. I think that calling is every bit as valuable as the calling to pack up your stuff and to go halfway across the world. And I love being a part of a community of people who give generously to support our global outreach partners. It is an amazing thing. You know, last year, and I think this is awesome, last year between our group here in Belmont and the group that meets in Burlington, we gave $138,000 directly to our global outreach partners, which is an amazing thing. In fact, that is, that is, as far as I know, by far the largest number that Mount Hope Christian Center has ever given directly to our missions partners. Sometimes we'll do a missions trip that boosts that number, but every one of those dollars went directly to our partners who are out on the field. And as a result of your sacrificial giving, as a result of you being willing to rob yourself and give to them, 
We were able to increase our support to some of our global outreach partners. We were able to take on new partners this year that we didn't have before. And at the end of last fiscal year, which ends on June 30th, we were able to send out some very special and needed gifts for big projects that were happening around the world. And it is an amazing thing to see what God is doing. If you look at your card, and some of you say, I, you know, I know what happens next. If you look at your card, there's this, there's this faith promise card on there. And we are going to ask you, we're pretty unapologetic about this at Mount Hope. We don't benefit from this at all. All of this support goes directly to our missions partners. We're going to ask you to consider what you might give to support our global outreach partners around the world. And I'm going to ask you next week. So I want you to take this card, and I want you to pray about it, and I want you to think about it. We're not taking them today. We're taking them next Sunday. But we're giving it to you today so that you can think and pray about what God might call you to do. If you're a part of Mount Hope, if this church is home, this is important to our community. There's work that we're all called to do. We're all called to tell those in our world around Jesus Christ, in our going to tell others about his love. There's work that some of us are called to do, and some of you might be called to go, but then there's work that the rest of us are called to do, and we are called to pray Come tonight at 5 o'clock and pray for our missions partners. We're called to give and we're called to support those whom God has called to go. In the 1970s, there was a young man named Paul living in a Muslim country, and he grew up Muslim. And at a young age, he chose to follow Jesus Christ with his life. And he began to tell others about Jesus in his country. And in the 1980s, the leadership of his country began to persecute dissidents, especially those who were Christians. And a number of his friends, they lost their lives because of their faith. And so he escaped, and he lived in New Zealand. And Paul also lived in the Boston area for a time. And he always knew that God wanted him to return to his home country and to do this work that he had called him to do. And he met some friends in the Boston area, and churches got together, and they supported him, and he was able to go home a few years later. And for the next 28 years, Paul hid Bibles and pamphlets and tracts in his apartment at great peril to him and his wife. He shared the truth about Jesus Christ with the people that he met as he went through his day. He discipled people that chose to put their trust in Jesus Christ. He discipled them over and over. And even at the point in his life when he had to move around in a wheelchair, Paul continued his work. In fact, he, w- he said that the wheelchair actually gave him greater freedom to do his work because the police and the authorities just looked at him as a broken down old man and they stopped paying attention to whether or not he was preaching the gospel. And so he continued his work until July of this year when God called him home. Paul met his Savior face to face and there's no doubt in my mind that God said, well done. And there is this entire legacy in his home country of people following Jesus Christ, and his wife has picked up the work and is continuing it. And do you know who's a part of this legacy? You are. Because you're a part of a church who supported this man's ministry and will continue to support it as long as it continues. And that's just one story from stories around the world of all that God is doing. 
And if we ask ourselves the question, what is it that God calls us to do with this task, this overwhelming task of reaching every last person in the world with the good news about Jesus Christ? What is God calling us to do? This is what he's calling you to do. He's calling you very simply to do this. Reach those you know. Reach those you know. And partner with others to reach those you don't. That's what the Bible says. You want to talk about how are we going to solve this whole thing? How is everybody going to know? How is every last person on earth going to hear the truth? This is what the Bible says. Reach those you know. In your going, tell people about Jesus Christ. And partner with others to reach those you don't. We'll always do that here at Mount Hope. It will always be a part of who we are. And next week, we'll talk more about how you can support and how you can give. And you take those cards home and you think about it throughout the week. But this morning as we close and as the worship team comes forward, this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to take a moment and I'd like for you to think about your job in all of this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't get away from it. You have a role here. That in your going, you are to make disciples. And I'm going to ask you to think here for just a moment. Who's the person who is the person in your going? Could be your coworker, could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a classmate. But who is the person that in your going, you know God wants you to share his love with them? Who is that person? What is their name? As we finish our service and we close out together with this final song, I'd like for you to do this. Either on that card, either on the Connect card that you have in front of you, maybe you'll write the name of that person and you'll put it on your dashboard or you'll put it in the mirror so that you see it. Or maybe this is what I would have to do. This is what I'll do. Put a reminder in your phone so that at 8 o'clock every single week, every single day this week, that name pops up on your phone so that you think about it. But I want to encourage you and challenge you right now to think of that one name, of the person that God has put you in a specific place to reach. And commit yourself this week to praying for them. And when God opens up the door, because he will, sharing his love with them. Who's the person? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let's pray for them right now? Just in your own heart and your own mind, pray for that person that God would call you to share his love with. And maybe you're here this morning and you're that person. You've never followed Jesus Christ with your life. I started talking about followers of Jesus Christ at the beginning of this sermon and you said to yourself, that's not me. I want you to know that there is a God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And if you're here this morning and that's you, I'd love to talk to you more after the service. But God, we lift up to you right now the names of those who are close to us, who need to know of your love. God, I pray that you would remind us daily by your spirit of the task you've given us to share your truth, that you would empower us by your spirit to do that boldly for your glory. And God, I thank you for how you're going to open the door and give us opportunities to share your love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. 
and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.